A business's physical environment can have a profound impact on brand, sales, customers and staff, even on the community, as my guest Jason Pollard explains. Jason is one of the leading service retail design minds in the Asia-Pacific and co-founder of the multi-award winning Public Design Group. He's an intelligent, considered man who works firmly from his values and has attracted like-minded clients from blue-chip brands. So naturally, he is the perfect person to talk to about authentic, purpose-driven environmental design. Oprah, Steve Jobs, Andrew Denton, Ando. To me, these guys are masters of communication. The rest of us, well, mainly you, because I'm a pro, fumble our way through. Comical examines this funny little thing called communication that can either tear us down or make us sore. Join me, I'm an amateur comedian and a communication expert. Join me and listen, learn and laugh through the experiences of my very talented guests. Jason, thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Mary. It's been a very long time since we've last spoken and you've been killing it. <laughs> Well, that's very kind of you to say so. Now, oh, there we go, Mr. Humble Jason. You've been doing amazing work with Bendigo Bank and Flower Power and a whole range of iconic brands. Yes, well, I suppose if you if you spend long enough in the game, it's a bit like throwing the dice enough, you know, one day you're going to throw a six, aren't you? We've been very lucky. You're also very, very talented and have done some amazing work. Thank you. Is it just retail design? What is it specifically that public design group does well it's actually even more narrow than retail design we've kind of specialized in service retail which means we wouldn't really know how to design a fashion store or you know a restaurant or a bar even though we have it's not our specialty now we're far more about service retailers so telco banking even automotive to point and the reason for that is that there's a very complex layer of intangibles involved and also staff and that whole relationship between the people, you know, the human piece of the experience. So that's where we've really specialised is understanding how to build trust and how to get that whole brand relationship delivered through people when you're selling something that essentially isn't, you know, a physical object. And your specialty is in the actual physical environment in which this transaction occurs, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. So what is it that people, when I walk, take the brand out of it for a second, mm. public design group, you're thinking about the public here and what they want, right? Well, that was why we named it that, but yeah. See how I very quickly decoded? Genius. Very <laughs> impressed. You'd be amazed how many people don't get it. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I need a little I'm... explainer underneath it, don't I? <laughs> can't wait to tell my husband I told you I was smart anyway we'll get <laughs> I said to him have you listened to my podcast yet because he walked in last night laughing with headphones on I said oh, are you listening to my podcast and he said he looked at me like I was crazy and he said are you John Cleese <laughs> I said no he said are you Conan O'Brien and I said no he said then you need to wait your turn <laughs> <laughs> he'll get there this this could be the one <laughs> so so what is it that people want from the retail environment? Well, my first answer to that would be puppies. 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 Okay. There's a reason why I say that. But actually, the official answer to that, and there have been heaps of research that have gone out recently, is there are probably four main elements that people are looking for in terms okay. of shoppers. Uh-huh. Yep. They want it to be experiential. 
they want it to be personalized and localized and increasingly they want it to be authentic and when i say increasingly i'm talking about most brands are now looking at the future of their businesses mm -hmm. that means how they can relate to the millennial audience and millennials are unequivocally focused on brands that have an authentic meaning and a purpose mm -hmm. behind so more and more brands now are saying how do the next 10 years look based upon that particular thing so the reason why i say puppies is because we did a, a flagship store for optus in george street a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and the client at the time who was aiming the whole project at millennials did this huge piece of research and he came back and he said i found out what they want and we were like, okay, <laughs> expecting this like three-page report on da 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 da. And he said, they all want puppies. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And he said, I, I told them not to have any parameters or any inhibitions. What would you love to see in the middle of this store? And 60% of them said puppies. So there you go. That's what people really want. It reminds me of that famous quote. Was it Henry Ford who said, if I would have asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses? Yeah, exactly. Yes, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, he did say that. You're right. Was it him? Disclaimer. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> Please fact check before you post about that. <laughs> Actually, that's exactly right. A lot of people talk about research and they say that research should start by asking customers what they want. And that's absolutely mm. not what it is in terms of mm. what, what result do you want? It's actually yeah. what needs do you have and how can we think of a more appropriate way of addressing those needs. You never ask them what the solution is. Otherwise, you end up stuff getting designed that's just nonsensical. <laughs> You'd be going in to get a mobile phone contract and come out with a dash out. <laughs> well, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that staff want for the environment in which they work? And does what they want even matter? That's a really good question. That's an underhanded question as well, because I know exactly the point that you're making there. But yeah, look, of course it does. Over and above things like nice lighting and warmth and security and all that kind of what they really want is they really want to be part of an organization that has a purpose that they can relate to. That that whole shared common purpose thing is what and, and this is not just about retail, this is about staff working anywhere really, whether it's yeah. an office or a shop or whatever, is that if through the experience that you're giving shoppers, you can demonstrate purpose in the brand. That is by far and away the most profoundly motivating and effective way of keeping staff retained within an organization. Wow. So, so yes, of course, they need uh, good salaries at market rates and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And all the kind of stuff that is normal, the hygiene stuff, but really over and above anything else, the thing that gets them really engaged is to be able to show them a clear path forward to be able to demonstrate to them that they themselves personally make a difference and to have that whole thing about the shared common purpose. But how the hell do you even do that in a physical environment? You've got your work cut out for you, right? Oh, look, for sure. And we don't just do it for the staff. We do it for customers as well. And, and mm. the reason being is that I think, and this is to do with the whole evolution of our category over the last five years. Yeah. Traditionally, people would come to a, an interior designer, retail design company, and they would say, can you please design an environment or an experience that reflects our brand? And so when the designer sits down, he looks at the brand and the references he has is the logo and the brand kit of parts, the colors, the tone of voice, the personality, the photography style. And he looks at all of that and he goes, well, these are my instruments for designing this store. So he or she creates this branded environment 
It's basically a box that looks and feels like a three-dimensional version of the corporate identity. Now what we have is a very, very different thing. We have retailers who are deliberately making every one of their stores different. Um, mm. If you look at Harris Farm Markets here in Australia, for example, and Bendigo Bank now, the one that we're doing, or Bailey Nelson, the, the optical retailer, um, mm -hmm. or even ESOC, the health and beauty brand, yeah. all of their stores look very, very different, but they have a common theme that runs mm -hmm. through them. And that theme is very much integrated to the purpose of that brand. And what that means is that customers are actually connecting with that brand on an emotive level because they're thinking differently about it rather than just it being about recognition. It's not just that cognitive thing of, yes, I'm in the right place because there's the logo and there's the advert I saw on the telly in the window, which yeah. is what it used to be. Now mm. it's far more about why would I choose this bank or this optical retailer or this supermarket versus the others who have very similar products. And we're in that tight space now where the difference between a good brand and a great brand is the ones that are breaking away from the traditional way of designing and creating this new narrative which is very much about what does that brand mean to me in my life and how can it make things better for me? What is my journey that I'm going on? And what is that sort of shared purpose that I can see in this brand that makes me feel good about it? I was reading about the work you did with Bendigo Bank in Leichhardt. Mm. And I remember reading that part of what you guys did was introduce this concept of the LEO, the Local Engagement Officer. That's right. And I remember thinking, okay, far out, this is really out there because that's not something you would normally hear of, particularly with a complete redevelopment of a local bank. Sure. Can you talk us through the process using that as an example, using the Bendigo Bank as an example? So basically, we have these types of conversations with most of our clients these days, is that we don't talk about designing a shop. We talk about the experience. How, how are people going to have a completely new way of thinking about you and how can we actually try and reinvent your category to be a pioneer in a very different way of doing things so that the built mm -hmm. environment is just one component of what we do. We also look at how the business can realign around this new model. We look at how marketing and how brand and all of the other components of that business can join in this singular journey to get in a direction that's going to be more relevant to the future of the category and the future of customers. So mm -hmm. invariably, we end up talking a lot about staff and staff roles and the human side of the experience. So mm -hmm. there's physical, human, and digital. And all mm -hmm. three of those elements have to be aligned and they all have to be singing off the same kind of hymn sheet of what that purpose is. So when you look at a bank, for example, Bendigo Bank, mm -hmm. and you look at what most people in that bank are trained to do, they're trained to be bankers, whether they're tellers, whether they're loan experts. So each one of their environments is full of people like that. And we come along and we say, actually, as a community brand, you need to be demonstrating your purpose, not talking about it or making promises about it. In fact, the first thing we told them to do was to, to burn all of their posters. <laughs> <laughs> because that's just talking. What we need to do is demonstrate. And yeah. we do that most effectively through people. But your people are not community-driven people. They're bankers, primarily they're bankers, who yeah. work for this sort of brand that talks about community but it doesn't really make it meaningful to them in their day-to-day -day roles yeah. and sure enough every single time we came across someone who we thought we could retrain they couldn't do it we needed somebody who was deliberately not a banker and who didn't have a sales imperative as the most important thing in their mind mm. so we said what you need to do is you need to get somebody out there on the streets 
talking to all the local businesses about how they can use our space, this community space that we created, in order to further their own business. So I'll give you an example. One of the things that Leo does, and this is Kaz Lauwe at Leichhardt, is she does this Saturday morning thing where there's a, an outdoor green patch of grass yeah. in the middle of the branch. She'll yeah. go to the local primary schools and she'll bring them in with their parents, so you know, students, pupils from these schools with their mums and their dads. She'll go to the local bookstore and get books, you know, loan books, and she'll go to the local performing arts school and get first-year students to come and read using these books to pupils from these schools. And they have this event called Jack and Ori. It's taken from the old English TV program. And the kids absolutely love it because they're being read stories by performing artists. That is so cool. At the end of the day, you're talking to three schools, one performing arts thing and a bookshop. They're all businesses. They all need bank accounts. They're currently all banking with other banks. But at some point along the way, those conversations that we've now started with those potential customers have started along a very, very different theme to banking products. They're actually building trust in a far broader context to do with community integration. And it's a slow burn way of pulling customers into your brand idea before mm. you've earned permission to talk to them about their banking needs. And it's proven to be outrageously successful. How can you define if it's successful? Don't we have to wait 10 years and see if this bank starts to make a shitload more money? That's a great question. So the first branch that we did in Norwood in Adelaide, there was a 75% increase in foot traffic and there was a percent sustained increase in high value sales. Now, the most that we'd ever got from a bank before that was about 18 or 19%. Wow, that's insane. The question that I want to ask you is, did you have to calm the, the client down, you know, with the idea of perhaps throwing flyers at people and selling to the mums that are there on that Saturday morning immediately? It was a big transition for the bank. These people have been doing the same thing for decades. And the reason why it was successful was because the thinking and the, the strategy was based on conversations that took place at very high level in the bank as an overarching approach and one of the manifestations came through to the way in which staff protocols had to be adjusted, roles had to be adjusted, um, positions had to be integrated, all kinds of stuff. So there was a really sound reasoning and understanding as to why everything needed to be tweaked into the new direction. And basically, if the staff weren't on board, then you know they, had, they got relocated to another branch. And it's funny that the way in which this happens is invariably when we do push the boat out quite far not just with the bank but with a lot of other clients as well this is always a sticking point when you go to you know a staff team and you say that we're going to do things very differently now if you don't have a really really good reason and you don't have a good robust narrative to to, to demonstrate to them why they should be doing that they're never going to do it and so you know but the integrity of the thinking comes from a new strategic direction and their role in delivering that typically is very, very clear by the time it gets down to there. So look, yes, it was, it was fun and it was challenging, but it works. It works because this new role, as we said, is not a sales role. It's an integration role to do with community. So is this something they'll roll out at other branches? So yeah, they are. We've done five of them now and we've literally last November, stroke December, just opened their flagship branch in the middle of their own town in Bendigo, which is like, oh my goodness, you've got to know that you're doing the right thing if you put it on your own doorstep. So that's a really good, clear indication 
but they're happy with it. We've also done a sort of a, a slightly dumbed down, more cost effective version of the whole thing where we've picked elements of it. Mm-hmm. and they've gone into more remote locations and i suppose at the end of the day that model has to work as well it can't just be a poor cousin of it they have you know making judgments as to which elements stand up on their own to tell some of the story but not all of the story is just as critical but you know there's there's a whole tier at the top which we're calling the innovation sites which work as hubs so you might have one and then you might have five or six grade two sites that are actually working with it as a hub what impact does the local community have on the way the branch is designed? So you've got a model for it now yeah. that you've got, you know, approval from the top. Does that model shift based on the community in which the branch sits? Great question. And yes, it does. Absolutely. So traditionally, like a lot of brands, a lot of banks, a lot of retailers look at the whole segmentation in terms of customer type. So they look mm-hmm. at demographic, they look at geography they look at them and they come up with these personas and they say you know this is this is julie james and she's a 43 year old mum with two kids and let's have a look at her needs and they do the whole empathy mapping and all that kind of stuff the way that we now look at segmentation in terms of the bank is we say where is this community in its cycle so if you take somewhere like like 10 years ago was a bustling italian hugely cultural beautiful kind of place where everyone wanted to be it had a bustling nightlife it had this very strong italian flavor running through it and now all of that's disintegrated because of the lockdown rules so all the great restaurants and bars are shut and there's a huge influx of overseas people that are coming to the area you know the old guard as it were have become very disenfranchised with it and it's quite fragmented and mm-hmm. most of the retailers there are really struggling so what we do is we go in as a bank and we say, we're not going to be the silver bullet. We're not the knight in shining armor, but there must be some people in this community who are already trying to fix this problem. So we go and we look for them and we find them. And it turns out that one's the local publican, who's a local hero. The other one is the mayor. The other one is the principal of the performing arts school. And we, we say, what are you guys doing? And how can we help? And how can our brand and our role and our, our space help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. So it's never a sort of a self-gratifying exercise. It always has a level of integrity to understand how we can fix that community if it needs fixing. Whereas Norwood in Adelaide, on the other hand, is an upper middle demographic community that has absolutely no concerns whatsoever. Everyone wants to live there. House prices are through the roof. Businesses are going great. So we didn't need to do that. That was a very different equation where we were talking to the local all girls grammar schools and saying would your choir like to come and practice in our space on a friday night we're going to open all the doors and windows and you know people on the street they're going to walk past and hear them and yes please we'd love to do that you know we've had some stunning results from from both branches actually but the way that we look at how we're going to do it is nothing to do with the wealth of the people that live there it's to do with the community spirit and where it is in its cycle because invariably they're always cyclical you know, you, you talk like this about Bendigo Bank and it makes me want to work there. <laughs> but I can see that purpose. I can see exactly what you mean when you talk about bringing purpose to the actual environment. You as a banker are still doing the exact same job. You're going to the exact same place, but all of a sudden your working experience is richer and you, you feel much prouder of yeah. what it is that you're doing and you feel connected to your community. It's actually really beautiful. I mean, even with us, you know, like we've been doing this for 17 years now and most of the clients that we work with sell products or they sell services 
and it's a transaction and yeah there's customer loyalty involved and all that kind of stuff but you know for us it's been quite transactional in terms of our relationships with our customers over the years they've mm. been good we you know most of my customers my clients are good friends now but the purpose side of working for Bendigo actually gets you out of bed in the morning with the spring in your step we've actually got small fledgling retailers in every single one of these innovation in fact in every single branch who are actually selling their product from the front of the branch and because of the high foot traffic they're getting great exposure and they're getting the leg up that they need to go to the next stage they don't have to be with the bank they don't pay any fees to the bank for doing this this is just the bank's way of demonstrating that it is supporting the community by backing the small to medium enterprise businesses in town and it's been hugely successful for them and we get the feedback from these retailers saying this is awesome thanks ever so much you know couldn't have done it without you had the best christmas ever that makes us feel great that's amazing yeah well done well you guys are the best i'm not biased at all oh we're not the best by long shot there are some (laughs) really there are some really good operators in our industry right here in sydney and you know if we're if we're in the top 10 that would be a wonderful thing but um take the compliment i'm going to edit out what you just that all that nice stuff you just said about your competitors it's going and take the compliment we are the best (laughs) the best by far and away the best there's ever been actually yeah people people just want to be us get in the queue (laughs) i I haven't got time anymore is this over right next See how long you come on a podcast for half an hour and all of a sudden the headphones can't fit on your head anymore. How do you know when it's time or how does a company know when it's time for an exercise like this? So going back to the analogy of the bank, if you were to look at the four major banks who don't really have any ideas, they have a a colour and they have a strap line that changes every six months depending on who the marketing director is. They've got nothing that defines them. And also they've got this remarkable kind of gridlock thing where the four major banks are only ever going to be the four major banks you know the Mm. competition rules around them are ridiculous in terms of acquisition rights and all that kind of stuff so you're always going to have challenger banks and other kind of players who are trying to nibble away at the fractals of space in between if you imagine Mm. for a square inside a circle the only opportunity in the world of banking is in the bits of the circle that don't touch the sides of the square Mm. that's where bendigo bank plays and it's a challenger brand they have to innovate all the time in order to be seen as a viable option to the major four the major four get a huge advantage in terms of their buying power and so the challenges are never going to be able to compete on price Mm. but what they can compete on is all these other things that we've been talking about so you know eventually when the major four piss somebody off they're going to go okay i've had enough of that who are so many well look at bank australia they've got a fantastic idea or look at you know bendigo bank they've got a great idea as well and that's the point that's what we're doing and so we find that working with challenger brands in general Mm -hmm. not just banks but you know everything from telco to auto to all the rest of it the smaller players are not only primed to innovate but they're more empowered they've got smaller teams and you know at the end of the day those businesses are not full of people who want to kill each other whereas all the top tier players are exactly that they're really toxic environments Mm. i mean dealing with the big telcos here in australia is one of the most absurd things any i mean honestly i've seen things that have taken place in meeting rooms that you wouldn't dream of it makes it it would make working with gordon ramsay like (laughs) seem like an angel do you know what i mean 
And these are real people that are paid to behave like this. You know, dealing with any government organisation is the same. And I always laugh when there's a message that says, you know, one of the first messages you hear when you're on hold is, we will not tolerate abuse. Now, if that's the first message that you're sharing with your customer, you've got to think, what are you doing to make your customers so angry in the first place? We actually walked away from our two highest yielding clients about three years ago and are actually part of the same organisation. One owns the other one. And within the space of about three months, we'd walked away from both of them. Wow. Our business took a dive for about six months and then we came back and we're now better than we've ever been. And our mandate, I mean, you know, I'm 51 for God's sake. I don't need the hassle of working with assholes. I just don't need it. All of our clients now are good people and nice people. And there's nothing wrong with being nice in business. Oh, it's everything. And you know what? It comes back to that idea of purpose. I mean, we know that, yes, it's an attractive proposition for those customers that are looking for something beyond that toxic, horrible experience of working with some of the other bigger brands, right? It's the same when you're recruiting employees, sure. right? So you'd look at an, an environment like Bendigo Bank versus something that's just grey and yellow and transactional. You know what I mean? you know where they're going to choose to work. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. It's really interesting. What about from an office perspective? A lot of people that I work with and that listen are not in a retail environment or a retail service environment necessarily. Although I will be sending this podcast to the arsehole at Mercedes who pissed me off last week. Listen to this, Sebastian. (laughs) Learn something. But what if, if you were working in an office environment, does that office environment have the same kind of impact does the same kind of thinking apply oh yeah of course it does it absolutely does it has to i mean you know what's really interesting about the office environment for me is when you talk about office environment as part of a corporate brand you know the thing that we're going through at the moment is that when you look at covid in the way that people have been working from home now for about a year and other than the normal distractions like dogs and babies and stuff like that the main sort of disadvantage of that other than loneliness is this need to be part of a team Mm. with a common purpose and that common purpose and Carl does this brilliantly he unravels what that is that common purpose and that reputation and the way that we behave and the way it's all aligned and he creates environments office environments with really good designers who make people that go to work there feel without having to read words on the wall and without having to be told what to do they just feel and it, you know they belong somewhere and they as individuals and as a team can see that journey ahead of them it's a real skill and it's, mm. it's something that you know we'd love to get into it one day but it, it, at this point in time there are some players out there that do it so beautifully but you imagine you imagine just that whole sequence of getting up in the morning feeling good about your job getting to work interacting with people having a brilliant day and then just leaving and just thinking you know and most of that is orchestrated around the environment and the way that people interact and the science of that, the science Mm. of human exchange, dealing with it in an environment where there's a hierarchy of order, where, Mm. you know, you've got to have people in offices, you've got to have certain spaces and certain ways of the more senior people being able to have privacy. But it's a real skill, I would say. The the interesting thing for us is that we have a co-share space here, the creative studio in Piermont. And what we don't have is we don't have that common purpose from a brand company perspective mm. because yeah. there are 19 different creative agencies that are working here. Yeah. But what we do have is we have this common understanding that the space belongs to everybody in it. 
and equally. So the whole senior management, the directors, one of which is is here talking to you now, we don't we don't say you know this is our business and we're going to sit here and we're going to no we we are on a totally equal playing field as everybody else, and we demonstrate that the way that we want people to behave by live from example. So, and it, and it, it works beautifully. People, you know, we go to the pub the whole time. We do all this kind of stuff. There's no sort of like, oh, do you mind if I do this? Do you mind? People feel at home here. And if you set it up in the right way, it, it works really, really well. So you work with some of the most amazing brands. So is this an activity that's mainly for rich companies? Yeah. It is? I'm Look, the disappointment oh, seeping through my. I'm joking. What about for those poorer companies who record podcasts amongst the laundry? No, I'm I'm being I'm being facetious. Um, it's probably not for rich companies, particularly if you look at the way that certain categories work here. So, I mean, just not wanting to get boring, but going back to the banks again, the four majors won't ever step outside of their comfort zone. They don't need to. They don't have to. There's no mm. motivation to. Whereas, you know. And, and it's probably the same with telcos as well. But I would say that rich companies, when you talk about rich, we're talking about a very different thing to financial here. We're talking about companies whose senior management have evolved as human beings and that they see the value in creating customer experience that is genuine and authentic and progressive. Mm. And mm. it's not just cookie cutter, formulaic, numbers driven cost cutting and and squeezing staff down to the bare minimum and yes we've got it on the spreadsheet it works and the color's right and therefore i've done my job hallelujah you know we personally deal with some incredibly visionary people who haven't come from business they've come from all walks of life and they're now Mm. leading organizations through cultural change which manifests itself not only in head office but also through their retail outlets and that's truly exciting really exciting That's amazing. You're in a really exciting space. But surely, I mean, even these people, they must also be expecting a return. So they're doing it. Yes, they're visionary and it's a great thing to do, but they're also smart business people and they know that through doing this, there is a return. It just comes later. So what kind of returns can an organisation expect if this is done well? One of the barometers of whether or not it's working, which is a really clear barometer, is whether or not the client stays with you and says we really enjoyed that process it's going well we now want to do a few more and a few more turns into a few more and a few more and a few more you know you end up doing the entire network that's a clear indication that the revenue that's generated from the first few stores is funding the redevelopment of the other stores or the new stores if they were a fledgling business that is growing so you know we see stuff the whole time done by our competitors that's absolutely stunning and you only see it once because as beautiful as it was, it was unsustainable for, you know, and typically that's because their bit, the environmental piece has been done brilliantly, but mm. they've not been concerned with the human piece or the digital piece because they don't do that. Somebody else right. does that. Thanks very much. It's, it's so depressing when you see it because there are some designers out there that are just do stunning work and yet the model doesn't work. And I can see where the model doesn't work. And it's like, oh, if only they had just, you know, gone down this in a more kind of structured and disciplined way of integrating all parts of the business it would have been right so yeah i think the returns when you talk about the returns i would say if you're going to do it do it properly do it so that the entire business is integrated around it you can't have a retail organization that looks at shops as a separate channel to the whole business it's got to be part of the thinking of everybody in there is how does that customer or shopper interact with your brand through that channel but how does that 
sensibility of what you're doing there affect everyone throughout the business. That's the only way it can work. Jason, I've really enjoyed that chat. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's nice now I can hear you properly again. Now, like, thanks for having me on, Marie. It's been it's been awesome. And you you too have worked with some wonderful people who I admire and who we also work with. And I think a lot of it's to do with being collaborative. My scope as a designer has kind of branched out into a few other areas, but I always I never have the a hubris to say, yeah, we do that. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, we do that because you just get into trouble. But along the way, we've picked up some incredible partners who have enabled us to penetrate into different parts of the realm of retail design and, and business. And that's taken us on some really cool journeys. So yeah, look, it's, it's, been, it's been a ride. I've really enjoyed it. Amazing. Thank you so much. And that's Comical for this week. If you'd like to join the show, suggest a topic or ask me a question, hit me up on Instagram at Maria Daggle or email me, comicalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See ya.